Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Bam. All right, here we go. Um, so let's get this thing going. Um, hey, folks. Welcome to Snark Monkey episode number one. Wow. Weird. Um, so I don't want to spend way too much time introducing myself because that's really not the point of this, but just to give people a little background, especially since the first people who will probably be listening to this are people who already know me because that's the only way I'm going to get my first few listeners. But I'm hoping, I'm assuming that some fans of our first guest here at Snark Monkey, um, are going to be listening. So Welcome. Because our first guest is fascinating and interesting and has a following, and people are going to want to know about him. But first, just a little background so I can get this out of the way, and I don't have to keep repeating it. But um, I am Larry Morgan. I am a longtime broadcaster, sometime writer, wannabe director, uh, occasional actor, uh, more than occasional voice actor or voiceover artist, depending on how you want to put that, uh, husband father, banjo tuner, uh, former tuna canner, uh, basically your typical L.A. cliche. So uh, why a podcast? Why another podcast? Why this podcast? Eh, I don't know. Part of it has to do with my radio career, something that I have been doing for a long time, literally since I was 15 years old, uh, a career I didn't intend to stay in forever, a career that I feel like I kind of stumbled into, but have a great affection for. Um, went to film school, had this idea about writing and directing movies. Still do, as a matter of fact, even as a grown-up adult. Uh, but I, I reached a point in my radio career where I was let go from a radio station. First time in my life I have ever been let go from a job. Uh, it was disconcerting, but also revelatory. Um, it really had, gave me, forced me really to re-examine kind of the priorities in my life. Uh, one of the things I did immediately was, um, basically say, well, fuck radio. I'm not going to listen to radio for a while. And out of just pure obstinance, I rejected radio and, and went off and started listening to podcasts, which I hadn't had time to do or the patience to do. But I would go on long walks or runs or spend time exercising and, and kind of try and, you know, spend the morning figuring out what was I going to do that day and what was I going to do with my life and career. And I immediately started listening to Mark Marin and the WTF podcast. Eventually uh, was recommended the Nerdist podcast with Chris Hardwick et al. Uh, and a couple of others, Pete Holmes and some others. And I found that, uh, A, I found them fascinating. They all had a, a point of view. They all had a sensibility. And Mark Marin in particular and I have literally zero in common. Uh, but I also found that his frustration in his career, his moving forward, his creativity, resulted in just finding something that he could control and he could find a way to express himself with. And in much the same way, I thought, you know what? I am nowhere near 
a celebrity like those guys are. I have nowhere near the kind of reach. But one thing I do know over the 30-plus years of working in the industry I've been in, I've gotten to know some people. I've gotten to become friendly with a number of different people. I am fascinated by people. And one of the things I definitely love to do and have been told I am good at is um, talking to people and having great conversations and learning something about them. And just my natural curiosity tends to bring out some interesting stories. And so I wanted, what I wanted to do was engage with those people. And again, it's somewhere in that realm of not high-level celebrity, but certainly people who have a following. People have reached a certain level of success in their profession. And almost in every case, I'm finding as I'm talking to more and more people, and you'll see this if you stay in, you know, tuned in, um, that it's almost never what they intended to do. <laughs> that there was always some kind of motivating force and also almost always some champion who helped put them on their way and helped them get to where they have ended up and are still going. So you'll hear writers, directors, actors, authors, um, social media presence. I mean, I'm going to try and talk to as many of these people as I can about how they got to where they got, what kind of things influenced them, especially movies and TV, because that's what I love to talk about. That's still a passion for me. Um, and then whatever else comes up. Um, and hopefully you will stay with us on this journey and maybe, much like I did by listening to these other people and their conversations, find some inspiration and motivation personally, because I have. And it's what got me started thinking about this and now actually literally physically doing it. <laughs> because in the past... If there's anything that I'm most frustrated about, it's having a great idea and never following through. And that's another thing I've learned from a lot of these people, and I continue to learn from people that I talk to, is that it takes determination, perseverance, a lot of hard work, a little stroke of luck, and then you just never know what's going to happen. And ultimately, that's exciting, and that's what I'm looking forward to here. So thank you for joining us. The first guest on the very first Snark Monkey is my first guest because, one, I, I just think he was a great person to talk to, uh, an extremely talented voice actor who I have known for 20 years and have known him before he was a success in this world but knew his talent. So to be able to kind of talk firsthand about his journey because I have, I have seen the whole process. Uh, and also because uh, James Arnold Taylor is his name, and he is going to be the first guest largely because he helped me kind of find the attitude. And we talk about that at the very end of this podcast. You'll hear what I'm talking about. But um, the name of the podcast and kind of the sensibility of the podcast comes a little bit from a collaboration he and I had together, and, and we do talk about it at the very end of this hour plus. So for those of you who are checking out, and James Arnold Taylor, for those of you who don't know, uh, I guarantee you, you have heard his voice, whether it is on Fox TV, between TV programs, or on 
cartoons, everything from Star Wars The Clone Wars, which opened him up to a whole new world of fans, to Johnny Test, that animated TV series. He's been in video games, very high-profile characters, like in Ratchet and Clank. Um, he has been Fred Flintstone for a while. Uh, that was not a video game. That was actually commercials and stuff. He is part of the Final Fantasy franchise. And if you don't know that, you're going to find out. And if you do know that, that's probably why you're here and welcome. So let's start uh, Snark Monkey episode number one with James Arnold Taylor. So what's the name of your show? It's called Snark Monkey. That's right. That's right. That's right. You said Snark. But it's basically been a, the the idea is to start just get a background from people. But but the big emphasis for me is your influences. Your influences growing up, the things that really impacted you, you know, media wise. Like I could just do my show for you. That's basically. There you go. I know. I mean, we could talk about that. We're going to talk about that. So my show is called Talking to Myself. Right. In case you didn't know. Didn't know if you knew. I'm I just, knew that. I'm just, I'm, you know, I'm, I don't want to assume we're good friends, but I don't want to assume that you just, you know, know these things. I know uh, everything about you. Wait a second. That I could find on the uh, on the internet. On the internet. Oh, I have a little a little soup I made for myself. Oh, nice. Yeah, no warm. It's good. Do you need good to have a little pipes. lunch first? No, this will be good. This will be good. Can you hear yourself okay? Um. I'm I'm low, but uh, but that's okay. Is it? Do you? Are we on the same volume? Does that so, turn it up? So don't blow yours out. Because Did that my, turn it up? Uh, yeah, it might have a little. It's fine. It's fine. Is yeah, that it's better? Good. Yeah, but is it is it too loud for you now? Nope. Are you sure? Yeah, I'm positive. Because these sometimes aren't as loud as the other ones, so I don't want to I don't want to yeah, mess you up. They uh, they're sucking a lot of the juice. What? I distinctly heard him say juice. <laughs> this is sucking the juice. Hello, James Arnold Taylor. Hello, are you uh, are you on? Are you rolling? Yeah. Are you oh doing yeah, your we've thing? been rolling this whole time. Oh, no. <laughs> so I shouldn't have said all that stuff. Yeah, that's right. This is probably not the time to ask you. Is there anything you don't want me to include in this conversation? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, um, this is great yeah. because we have been friends for twenty years. I usually hate doing the math because that just makes me feel old. At least, yeah. yeah. But well, we were children. Well, we met in third grade. Our, yeah, that's right. And uh, you, uh, I, I beat you up on the playground and took your lunch money. That's right. Yeah, and we've been friends ever since. Yeah. Good times. Give me your money. Okay. Um, uh, you are now... Now, I've known you when we were just doing silly little comedy bits at uh, the old uh, Premier Radio Networks. Yeah, yeah. Where, where are we actually <laughs> are recording this now? <laughs> And one of the things I can say, before we kind of go back and delve into your deep, dark history, one of the things that many people were constantly saying about you is, why isn't he doing cartoons? Why isn't he doing Is that what they were saying? Were they really? Oh, yeah. I mean, we all were. Everybody who was around you. And were they saying, why doesn't he get out of here? That's kind of what it was motivating. Wait. But the the thing was, you showed this ability immediately to mimic voices and do weird characters. To mimic voices and do weird characters. See, exactly. I, I don't know. Is that me? Is I, don't, that I, I don't know. I didn't sound anything like you. But is that what I sound like? I don't know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 
Um, so let's go back. I want, I want to know, you were, were you born in Santa Barbara, raised in I was Santa- born and raised in Santa Barbara, California, which is one of those, uh, literally one of the most beautiful places in the world. The beaches are some of the best ever. The weather is 72 to 76 degrees all year round. And you grow up there and you have no idea that it's that. So, so you go, I gotta get out of this stupid town. Now, why, why did you not know? Because you just assume everything is everywhere is like that. <laughs> Every place is heaven like this. All right, so it was gorgeous, and you just assumed the rest of the world was the same. Yeah. So you but just wanted to be able to move on. I didn't, uh, but I also didn't come from like, you know, because Santa Barbara is also, like they did a study, and I think it's 69% over what it should be priced. It's it's so very expensive to live there. Well, the very wealthy live there. The very wealthy. Celebrities. Uh, Oprah. Yeah. Oprah has a has a oh. huge place there. Uh, I think Michael Douglas. Um, you've got uh, Gene Hackman. You've got Steve Martin. Uh, all these big, right. big names, big names there. And uh, so I didn't, but I did not grow up in the wealth. I grew up in like the the projects kind of <laughs> the part projects of, it. Yeah. of Santa Barbara, which was UCSB uh, Isla Vista. Isla Vista is where UCSB is, and it's all the kids and the teenagers and doing their wacky you know uh college stuff so i grew up there uh, in a like a one-bedroom apartment with my brother sister and my mom and uh just loved doing voices what did I, your mom do she worked for a uh, she worked for the the hospital in town cottage hospital and she did uh, medical transcription work and then cancer uh stuff where she would um she would help the doctors uh, with different forms of the cancer making you know all the notes and logging and all of that stuff was a research analyst i think is what oh, wow. we, yeah one of the things she did so working single mom yep. and three kids so you yep. guys left alone a lot uh yeah i was uh i was raised by the tv and uh that's literally the truth i mean i would watch television all hours and there wasn't you know this was this was the 70s and 80s man <laughs> There wasn't really. I was. Were you stoned as no. a child? Is that what that was? <laughs> no, but everybody else around me was. I bet. And, and truthfully, yeah. Uh, no, it was. It was. A, you know, I'll tell you, it was a rough childhood. Yeah, I'm all right now. Back then, it it was one of those things where I look back now. I've been writing my my memoirs. You know, Larry, I've been writing my memoirs, oh, and I've been looking back yes. at everything. And I've he seen. He put on a smoking jacket just now. Just he did that in like two seconds. Within the instant. Isn't there. Amazing. Um, and I really have realized how twisted of a weird life it was growing up. Well, I, I, I certainly don't think you're alone in that because I think a lot of creative people, A, have, broke, have grown up in broken homes. Yep. And many of us, I'm older than you, but there is a generation that had TV and had a lot of choices on TV. Mm-hmm. And we, you're right. TV was our babysitter. Yep. It was our go-to. Yep. And this is another part of our childhood. Were you, did you feel like an outcast? Were you an outsider? Were you part of no. the popular group? Or were you, I mean, what was yeah. your status? I was both. Here's, really? um, yeah, here's the thing. When I was in fourth grade, I was, my influences were Robin Williams, God bless him, oh, and, and Steve Martin. And these guys were like my heroes. This was fourth grade? Uh, yeah, in fourth grade, I started doing acts. I would ask my teacher, could I get up and do some some bits? Really? I wanted to be a stand-up. See, now I knew if we can now, go back. Now, wait a minute. Wait, fourth grade, where's... Now, I, I want to know where that's coming from. <laughs> because you... So you've been watching a lot of TV. Yeah. So I, even before the stand-up comic... Because fourth grade's still pretty young. Well, that's... no. See, when I was... I always go back even farther. When I was four years old, I knew that I wanted to be... Uh, 
an actor uh, entertainer. So based on what? What was here's the story. What you was want the, the full thing? story? Yeah, here's I do. I really do. Well, you got some time. You got a microphone. Yeah. Um, and I don't I wanted, want to read your book. When so. I was, when I was four, <laughs> I thought I wanted to be a doctor because my mom worked at a hospital, as we mentioned. So she got me the whole little outfit, and I had the bag with the, you know, the little fake stethoscope and all that. Right. And there was a motorcycle accident outside of our apartment one day. And nothing too serious. Guy like wiped out, fell off the bike. And I, everybody kind of, crowd kind of forms. And I went and put all my gear on and grabbed my bag and went down there to fix them up. You know, Really? And I pushed my way through the crowd. This is, God's honest truth is my brother and sister and my mom have told me this story many times. I pushed my way through the crowd and I looked at the guy and saw him there laying down. And I said, I'd like to help you, but I'm an obstetrician. It's a great bit. Yeah, it's a great bit. <laughs> of course, the guy died. But <laughs> Tragically. But he did get a laugh in he before did. he passed He was on. okay, actually. He was okay. He laughed. Everybody laughed. And um, my mom went ahead to tell me that, you know, if you're going to be a doctor, you have to be able to help anybody, not just, I wanted to be a baby doctor. And I said, well, I made him laugh. I'll be a comedian. It was, it was literally a, a switch that flipped at that moment. It was, yeah. And you, did um, you have a, and you have a distinct memory of that? I do have a memory of it. Um, and and I, again, it's been told to me so many times as well. But right. it's a great story and, uh, and true. <laughs> so I started studying comics and old-time radio things. I would get the, out of the library. I would get the tapes of old radio programs and Abbott and Costello and Laurel and Hardy and uh, Jack Benny and all those guys. And then oh, I'd wow. watch all those old movies. And I was just fanatical about all that. So I knew, and I had an old Radio Shack recorder, so I would do, submitted for your approval. And I would do my little, but it was submitted for your approval. <laughs> you know, I was doing my little fake Twilight Zone shows and just creating all this stuff. So by fourth grade, I found stand-up comedy. I found, you know, Richard Pryor, Steve Martin, Robin Williams, and George Carlin. Those guys were like, okay, right. this is it. But Steve Martin was the epitome of the nightclub comic to me. He was just, I mean, he was brilliant. And Robin Williams was the, the epitome of the crazy stand-up comic. So I kind of combined them both. By fifth grade, I there was a play every year. Our fifth grade teacher, Mr. Rosa, God bless him, he's just, just changed my life, this man. He would write a play for Halloween every year, and it was the Halloween play for the school. He wrote this play called Cork and Cindy, based on Mork and Mindy. Because <laughs> Mork and Mindy was huge at this time. Sure. This was, you know, 1981 or 1980, 81, yeah, something like that. Yeah, the show had been on a little bit, it, and, yeah. he, and, he, and Robin Williams was at the height of his Absolute, uh, popularity. Absolutely. So, um, so I was like, oh my gosh, I, I've got to play this part. So I got the role of Cork. So my very first thing I ever did in front of an audience was was basically an impression of Robin Williams. The lead based on Robin Williams' character. Yeah. Wow. So I was, oh, hey, I was doing the whole thing. But again, it was, oh, hey, oh, I was right up there. <laughs> and, um, and I remember uh, we, we had the part in the play there where... The character, again, it's a Halloween play, so he had to walk through this cemetery, and he's alone at night. You know, Cork, this crazy alien that's come down and stuff. And it says, Cork ad-libs a bunch of stuff. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, what do I what do? I do? And he's like, you can do it. And I've said, I, I can't do it. I don't know what to do. He's like, you can do this. Just do it, you know? And he's like, pumped me up, and, and it, it sounded really mean when I just said it now, but it wasn't mean. <laughs> you can do it, kid. And uh, <laughs> get in there, you bum. <laughs> and I... Did and we did. I don't know, probably five performances of the show, and every time it was different. And then all my my friends that were in the play with me were like, "Don't look at me because I'll laugh when you do." You know, right, and I right. was just doing voices, and I just I just went nuts. I just went oh, and my whole kind of Robin Williams thing. And, oh, this is great. Oh, look, there's a ghost over here. And, oh. and and um, and I was hooked. And from that point on, I was known as 
you know, the the Robin Williams kid in in school. Right. And so everybody liked me then. I was the wacky kid that did voices and fun stuff from fourth, uh, fifth grade on. So by the time you got to adolescence and those like awkward, geeky, yes. difficult years, oh, you, you were already the funny guy, which goes a long way in the social scene. Billy Crystal puts it the best. He says, I wasn't the class clown. I was the class comedian. And I was kind of the same thing. He goes, the class clown would be the, the guy that would run naked through the football game. Yeah. The class farts comedian. farts in the middle of uh, math class. Exactly. The class uh-huh. comedian would be the one that told him to do it. Right. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> because it's funny. Right. So uh, I was more, yeah, I was... I was, I don't know, I was always just coming up with stuff and bits and things. I love doing bits, comedy bits. And so really the first, once you got over your medical practice, you <laughs> yes. you were focused on doing stand-up then. That yeah. was you, from actor or stand-up? Stand-up. Yeah. I wanted to be a stand-up, and I wanted specifically to do voices and cartoons. So you wanted to do impressions um, built into your stand-up as yeah, well? Yeah, impressions were always just kind of part of it. Yeah. Um, but, you know... Do you remember uh, your first joke, like the first earliest act? real act you had was real it somebody act. else's joke or yeah did... no my my first real act i wrote when i was about 12 years old and then i worked on it until i was 16 when i first did stand yeah. up at this little club called um there's joe's cafe in santa barbara it's still there it's very famous it's been there forever on a corner on state street and then they created a small place called joe's two t-o-o and it was just this like literally not much bigger than the the studio we're in right now tiny little hole in the wall and they would do open mic nights and they had basically it was open mic nights for bands. But I went, I called them up and I said, I'm a comedian. Can I do my thing? You know, and I kind of like just pretended like I was like, oh, yeah, you know, I tour all over. Can I come in and do, do a set? You know, I'm 16. And right, so, right. Ah, can I come in and do a set? <laughs> and they said, well, it's the um, it's the owner of the club's birthday. So you got to we want you to do something with that, you know. And, um, oh, gosh, what was his name? He had something like the name was like Sal or oh, or, wow. or or. Um, or Spike, or it was some kind of... Oh, yeah, 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 it was know. what it was supposed to be if you own and run a club. Yeah, yeah. it was It was perfect. <laughs> um, and uh, and so I I go in, and they're like, okay, you got to come in, do your act, and then get out, because it's a bar. Because you're you underage. Yeah, you're underage. I'm 16, I can't, you know, I've got my little, like, jacket with the sleeves pushed up and the, <laughs> and the Converse high tops. What year is this? This is 1984. Four eighty-five. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, so stand-up comedy is actually going through a boom around it's, this time. Yeah, it's they're clubs, really every, they're jamming clubs into everything. Just starting. I mean, my you know, and again, Letterman and Carson. I'm watching them every night. I'm watching the comedians on there. It's like my dream is to be on Johnny Carson and have him have him give me the come on over, yeah. sit on the sit couch. On couch. Yeah. So I'm working it, and uh, yeah, I had this routine, and there were literally biker guys in there wearing the the biker jackets and tattoos wearing sunglasses in the middle of the night and the bandanas on the head and i'm thinking if i can make these guys laugh yeah so i came out there and i had my saxophone because i was a sax player and i i used it as kind of a crutch you know because it gave me something to hold on to and you know kind of work with and stuff i was a little nervous the first did you actually play it at all no that was the joke (laughs) so i would start i came out on stage and i prepared like i was a musician and then i came out and Put it up to my mouth and it went, you know, and then I started in with a little thing about, you know, being a kid. Have you noticed? Have you noticed? No. Anyway. <laughs> and, and I go into my little routine about being a kid and uh, laundry and just all the usual Seinfeldy kind of, you know. Is there a joke that you remember that, that sticks in your mind? Oh, gosh. I remember doing, one was uh, doing the laundry and um, I would have to, like when you're, 
you're holding all of it and you've got to get it from the dryer to or from the washer to the dryer and you're doing the look around you know so it was a very visual kind of right you grab it and you go <laughs> and you're looking and then if you drop something then you got to and it's the whole it was really bad stuff but you know um and i did some impressions but every couple of seconds or a couple of minutes rather throughout it i would then go like i'm gonna play and then i so i never actually played the saxophone and then at the end it was the guy's birthday and um so i sang happy birthday to him a la bill murray you know from the lounge lizard from saturday night live happy birthday to you you know and then the, um oh god what was his name uh, so let's say it was Sal. Happy birthday to you, Sal, you crazy nutty guy. And and he, and he loved me. And he like dimmed the lights and flashed them. And the guy's like, hey, he's pretty good. Yeah, I like it. And he had, I kid you not, he had like a scar, like across his face. <laughs> I was like, uh, I better be good because yeah, this guy's going to yeah. kill me. This otherwise. is like Vegas playing to the mobsters. It you really d- you was. You need yeah. to know your audience. Yeah, it was insane. And and they liked me, and thank God they liked me because if they hadn't, I don't know how if I would have gotten back up on the horse. So after that, uh, for a year, I worked on the routine, tried to get into clubs where I could, and then I went to the local radio station, which was um, called K Tide. It was a rock station, mm-hmm. KTYD ninety nine point nine in Santa Barbara. They're still up there. They are still up there, and um, and I went in and asked the receptionist. Uh, can I talk to a DJ? Can I see? Can I get a, you know, how do you get into radio? And I asked a guy and it was Terry James. And Terry is still a dear friend of mine. He is on the air still. And he has, uh, he has a, another show on as well. And he's got podcasts. He's, he's done very well for himself now, but you know, he was a young kid on the air at K Tide rock station. He was like the afternoon guy, gave me a tour of the radio station, took down my information, gave it to the uh, production director who then called me and I started handing out bumper stickers and sweeping up. I spent every waking hour in that place. So now this is similar a little bit to my story too. So I think I can relate to this, which is you, you know, you aspire to this job in show business. You see these guys doing this act, but Santa Barbara, despite its proximity to Los Angeles, yeah. is still not yeah. in Hollywood. No, it's no. a relatively small town. Mm-hmm. So the one thing that you feel like you have access to, besides going in and doing a club that you can't stay in for yeah. more than your set, <laughs> yeah. is being on the radio. Radio, it, it's a it's it's a form of entertainment. It's a yep. form. Uh, there were probably guys who were being wacky and doing stuff. And Morning you show had stuff, your favorite yep. guys on the station, so yep. you saw it as an outlet. For your creativity, so you absolutely. were drawn to that, right? Uh, absolutely. And yeah, how old were you? You were like fourteen I was, I was or fifteen. Yeah, my you first were... job. Well, was running Casey Kasem's show, and I didn't talk <laughs> for like a year. But I was fifteen when I started. That's yeah. awesome. My yes. mom had to drive me to the station on the other side of town. <laughs> Thanks, we, mom. Yeah, did not make her happy. I got up at midnight. <laughs> well, but now, sure. Look at you. Yeah. Well, look at me now. Fancy pants. Sitting here talking to you. Cheese pants. What? Um. <laughs> so, so yeah. So I was seventeen. I started. Uh, just going in there and I would watch all the DJs and they were great. And again, Mark Avery, Jane Asher, Terry James, these guys uh, and gals, they're all still doing this stuff and great. Mark Avery's a voice actor here in Hollywood now and just a great guy. So you worked your way up through this radio station to, to were, were you on the air? You had yeah, a regular Yeah, so shift? here's the great part. Okay, so I started in the production department right? and then I would go into the production room at night uh, promotions department. I'm sorry, I said production. I should say promotions department was the, where I started. Yeah, you were handing out, the handing stickers, out stickers, go to concerts, going to I got to go to concerts for you, drive the big K Tide video van, um, <laughs> which was great. 
and then you open it up at the beach, and there's a big screen and music. All right, dude. That's, you know, that's yeah. a pretty sweet gig, by I the way. I had a good gig. Yeah. All the drill team members in school that had no interest in me when I was a band geek earlier suddenly liked me. Oh, sure. You oh, can you get, get me into the Journey show? Yeah, you can yeah. get me tickets to Sting? Oh, <laughs> you're so cute. And... Um, yeah. And so, okay, so I'm 17, I'm, I'm going into the production room at night, and I'm, I'm teaching myself how to use all the multi-track machines, because everything was all tape players and records back then. We just started with CDs at that point. Right. So I learned how to, how to do multi-track mixing. I learned about the microphone and technique, and I would create my own fake shows, and I'd give them to the production director, Russ Motla, who is, again, still somebody working in radio. Russ is fantastic, and Russ was such a great guy, because he, he'd take the time as the, as the you know, the the one that's running the shop, he'd sit down with me and listen to the tapes and go, yeah, okay, this is do this and do that and do this, change this up. Don't say, um, every two seconds, you know? Right, right. See, you've actually hit on something that's a, a little bit of a, a thing about radio right now, which is I'm not sure that those mentors exist anymore because of the yeah. state of radio, but just simply because there just aren't that many human beings in, in buildings anymore. <laughs> it's just all kind of computers and it, stuff, it's, yeah. I mean, it's sad. I mean, there are still so many great people in radio, yeah. but there aren't that many people who have the time to be able to sit down with an up-and-comer. No. And, and and be able to critique like that and guide them. I just yeah. don't think they exist anymore. No, he was he was uh, he was a great he was a program director and he he just he managed all that and so here's what happens. So one night I'm still in like 17 18 maybe just about 18. Um, the overnight guy doesn't show up. And so they I just get home <laughs> At around 11 from just making my own fake shows in there all night. I've been in there all day and stuff because I became the assistant production director or a pr promotion director. I keep saying promotion, promotion director. And so um, I had an office literally in the garage of the radio station. And I had a desk and I thought I was so cool. Oh, yeah. You were hot stuff. So I just get home after doing all that and they call me up and they go, he's, he's a no-show. James, can you go on? You're on at midnight, midnight to six. Uh, okay, I'll do it. And I rushed back there. I'm on were you the air. Did you feel prepared? Did you? Was this kind of like yeah. one of those moments you yeah. were kind of waiting for? I was for? like, this is it. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So I just, I did it. Of course, I played music that I had no business playing because they had a set list. But yeah. I went, you know, people would call and request stuff and I felt bad, you know. So I'm like, that's Crocus on k <laughs> It's like, no, no, don't play Crocus, James. <laughs> honestly, don't, don't play Crocus. That's great. So that was the I mean I I think it's funny though there I don't know how many show business stories there are about people with their first real step toward a career yeah. is based upon the fact that the other guy didn't show up. Yeah. I think there's a bunch of those, right? Absolutely. And that's like as a voice actor now, that's why I never take a vacation because people go, "Well, you know, don't you go anywhere?" It's like, "No." <laughs> yes. Why? Because I don't want to be that guy. Yeah, I will be there. I will <laughs> yeah. be there for every gig. Every so time. so so how long does radio last for you? Radio uh radio I well, it depends. Well, I stayed I know in that, radio. Uh, okay, for I, I'll leap ahead for you yeah. because I know where this is going. At one point, you become in some way linked to a guy we know named Pete Hansen. Yes, yes. But before that, so I kept saying production director for a reason. All my time in the studio and learning all that stuff and creating, I'd make all these wacky promos for the, the station and stuff and do all these different voices. It paid off and I became the station's production director, which meant I was in charge of writing, producing, and voicing all of the commercials for the station. So by, I think, 19, I had that gig and was doing it for 
the station and the city kind of quite famously. Like in Santa Barbara, I was known as the guy that if you wanted a really crazy commercial, like yeah. there was Don Q Billiards. And so I took George Thorogood's Bad to the Bone. And I did Don Q, you know, and I all this. Was so you're doing some pretty creative stuff creative, for that market yeah. size. I was doing like parody songs and, and bits where I was doing like Cheech and Chong, you know, saying to come to the play. And I probably would have got sued, I'm sure. <laughs> but, you know, hey, man, come on over to this place. Oh, yeah, man, it was great. You know, and I just, I was doing whatever. I was doing impressions and, and having fun with it. And so I became the production director. And then I started helping with the morning shows and stuff. Then a new program director came in and fired everybody. And I was the first one to get fired. Oh, wow. And she let me go quite, she was quite thrilled to do that, I think. <laughs> she didn't like me. Uh-oh. And uh, so I was like, wow. And this was, I was 21. So I had worked there from 17 to 21. I got fired. I sent my tape everywhere. And it was literally tapes, cassette tapes of your demo reels right. and stuff. And, and showing as a production director and what I could do. I remember I sent it to K-Rock and all the ones in, in town. LA yeah, stations, yeah, yeah. But then in North Carolina, they, they heard it. They loved it. They gave me a job at WTRG Oldies 100.7. And um, I became the uh, morning show producer and the production director for the station. So you packed up? What little vehicle? I had a truck. I there had a go. Jeep Comanche. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, my wife, who was not my wife at the time, she was my fiance. Her father gave me the money to put a shell on the top so all my stuff wouldn't get ruined driving across the country. Right. Packed up. And, and everything you owned could fit in that Jeep. Yes. <laughs> I remember Absolutely. that time of my life. I had a futon, you know, <laughs> and I had my records and my clothes. Isn't that amazing how much stuff you accumulate and when you get older? Yeah, it's, a, it's weird because it was just the back of a pickup truck. Yes. And it wasn't that crammed. I had a TV, and I remember I broke down day one in the Mojave Desert. Oh, good. Yeah. And uh, sat there for hours. I have videotape of it still because I, I videotaped my, my journey. And, uh, and I thought I was going to have to give them my TV to help them repair the thing. But it got fixed. I got back on the road. I made it there in four days. I was like from Santa Barbara to North Carolina because they were like, yeah, we need you here now. And I'm like... Dude, now? Uh, yeah. <laughs> so four days. And I worked there for seven months, and I went, I have got to get back to L.A. I really? want to do cartoon voices. Yeah. I really want to do this. So I, I came back home, and the day before I got married, the uh, the manager of the general manager of the radio station, K-Type, called me up and said, you want your old job back? We, we had cleaned house again. We have a new person here. And I got my job back. I was that doing, never happens. Yeah, because I was doing weekends at the light station, K-Light. And oh. so I was, this is James Taylor. Now we're going to hear from um, James Taylor. <laughs> and, you know, so it was, it was very awkward. So I, I got my job back at K-Tide as the production director and the morning show producer. And I met the morning guy there now was this fellow by the name of Pete Hansen, who I then uh, just hit it off with great. We started writing and producing comedy bits regularly for his show. And a fellow by the name of Mark Davis, who was working at Premiere, uh, Pete used to send them bits sporadically, but he could never keep it up. And so I was able to go, yeah, let's just make them. So every day I was making new bits for his show, and we'd send them off to Premiere, and they'd buy them from us. And they said, could you guys do this on a regular basis? And we said, yeah. Now, just for a little background, Premiere it was a s- small company formed yep. by some, some folks who had been working at KISS FM mm-hmm. in, in the 80s. And... They started out as a very tiny one-room company, basically uh, producing uh, a soap opera update, and yeah, and the they Clarence started doing update. yeah, and then they started doing mm-hmm. comedy pieces. They basically built now the company now 
is a huge part of Clear Channel, and and it produces American Top Forty and Rush Limbaugh, and yeah. I mean the list of giant shows. But it was a it was a room, <laughs> and it was taking like you know yeah. guys like you sending stuff in on reel to reel tapes, yeah, and and again, then sending that out to radio stations, and they would run it as their own, yep. basically. Yeah, it was great parody commercials it, and things like it that. It gives yeah, it gives these radio stations that are uh, smaller markets and stuff a chance to sound very professional right. and polished and they're getting stuff from LA and you know but so we were doing that and they're like well how many bits could you do a week and I, went, I don't know 15 and they went okay great we had no idea that's like no no most people do like <laughs> that's five a lot. that's yeah. a lot so we uh went in and packed up the cars again and moved our families out to uh, Los Angeles and uh did 15 bits a week for uh four years Pete and I worked together and uh, you and I met that was when I came very, in. Very, very early on in yeah. that time, probably a year into that, at least, and um, and so we uh, we just had a great time doing it. And now, so uh, let's get the timing down here, just so we kind of know where we are in the timeline. This is ninety. Well, I, I met you in ninety. Uh, 94 beginning in 94. oh okay well then i was there for a few years then before yeah. that because uh it, we we went there in 91 okay. so yeah so i've yeah. been a couple of years so you've been here a while um and uh so yeah so 91 i came to premiere and then uh yeah we met then in 93 94. now at that point how much time had you been putting into trying to break into what you had always wanted to do had you been still yeah. been doing stand-up had you been trying to get into cartoons no did you, did you uh, find any traction in that world my partner pete sucked the life out of me <laughs> He, you know, if he was listening now, he'd agree. No. Um, well, A, you were doing 15 bits a week. We were doing 15 bits a week. It was a lot. And here's the other thing. The studio, like you say, it was just this very small facility. So there was only like two studios. And we got the studio at two in the morning, mm -hmm. basically, to do our bits. So we would drive a, a lot of times. We were first in Santa Barbara. We'd drive down from Santa Barbara. And we'd work until yeah. all hours of the night in the studio. And then go home and pass out and then come back and just do it. And this was every day? Every day. Yeah. And so, but it was fun. And uh, we would do that for many, many years. We did uh, all that. And then I, and then he and I stopped working together and I did it on my own for many years and then worked with other partners. And I did the work in radio for, uh, radio network for about 12 and a half years. Right. And then, yeah. Now, just, now, certainly during this time, you must have been trying to yeah, pursue sorry, some of that, that other stuff. Yeah, well, so, I, I'm just trying to kind of figure out, because again, the, now we're to the point where this is the period where those of us who are working with you are mm -hmm. listening to the things you're doing. And to a certain extent, everything you've been talking about to, up till now yeah. has to have been the best training ground in the world Absolutely. to do what you do now. Yeah, because here's the deal. When I was working in production in the radio stations, it was always just me in a room at 2 in the morning. And if I had a commercial where it was three voices, you had to come up with those voices. So it was just, hey, Bob, what's wrong? Oh, I've got this headache. It won't quit. Well, here, try this. And, you know, so you had to just come up with stuff and so we were always just doing that so it was great training on that it was great on writing and copywriting and coming up with material and funny stuff because one of the points i want to make and one of the things i want to accomplish in this podcast especially talking with people who've reached a certain level of success in their particular field mm -hmm. is that the path to get there almost always encompasses a certain level of god-given talent of something yeah. innate yeah, and sure. a certain amount of drive but there is always an element of kind of persistence and constancy and hard work that yes. there is and repetition to a certain extent and it sounds Absolutely. boring because <laughs> it doesn't sound magical i mean there is the story of the guy who didn't show up and you get a break yeah but then there's the story of 12 years 
of creating bits and having to do 15 a week and yeah. and creating characters and trying to make people laugh and yeah. and that's not easy and when you're working in in radio like we did and you know this all too well too is you don't get the credit for it right <laughs> because you make this stuff it goes out and then 3000 affiliates across the country use it right and put their name on it. And yeah, exactly. So you're not. There's no credit. Yeah. Uh, there's literally no, you know, name credit. No. There's no award. There's <laughs> no. There's no bonus. So for, you're you know. like, I just, I've got to do something. So yeah, I, I remember there was a big audition for some of the Looney Tunes voices, and I put this tape together, and I did this thing called Master Tune Theater, and I, I did. Uh, it was basically Shakespeare. So it was but soft. What light through yonder window break? It was Daffy Duck, you know, and and then uh, Elma Fudd was Juliet, and you know, and I did, you know, all the different characters in it and I put it together and and um, tried to get it out there and that kind of started things for me trying to do it so I started doing tapes for other people I had friends that were doing uh, voiceover successfully because we'd bring talent in to do stuff for us and I'd say here's the deal because I had a home studio now I built this home studio I said I will make your demos for free but you have to take my demo to your agent because I need an agent and so, uh, once again, Mark Davis uh, came through. I owe a lot to Mark Davis because he gave me a call and he said, Disney is doing some work and, uh, for this new thing they're building called California Adventure. And they need some voices and they need some actors. And you will get your SAG card if you do this. And I went, ha-ha, yes. So I did that. And my voice was on a bunch of different rides there at California Adventure for many years. And you did some of that stuff, too. I, I think I think the early, Superstar Limousine together. Well, I think I did something, too. There was, there was something within California Adventure where I was kind of mimicking the AOL You've got yes, mail guy. Yes, you were. You, and it was, do you remember There's what? There's mail for you. But the, do you remember like what happened? We had this head, it was like this mannequin. It was a torso. And it had yes. microphones where the ears are. Right. And they, I had an engineer spinning it around. Right. On the, he's on the ground with a rope <laughs> spinning this thing around. This is the way they do things at Disney, by the way. And it's, it, it, the funniest thing is, is just like last year, I'm there doing stuff with, with Johnny Depp. And, and doing these voices for this attraction there. And I'm talking to the engineer. I'm like, do you remember 20-some-odd years ago, you're on the ground spinning a torso <laughs> with my... He goes, yes, I remember that. It was so great because it's, it's just <laughs> that thing. And it would it simulated how we hear it. How we would hear it, right. It was really brilliant yeah, technology. Was, Anyways, I digress. But Well, so, yeah, so you're doing some stuff for Disney. I, I started doing the Disney stuff, and then eventually my good friend Burn Offit, Burn Offit, He's got that. It's kind of funny name, Burn Offit. <laughs> Burn was with Abr uh, Abrams, Rubeloff, and Lawrence. And he took my tape in because I had done his demo. And finally, one of the agents, Mark Quinn, who is now also one of my agents again. Oh, wow. Full comes circle. full circle. Heard my stuff and went, oh, well, I should give this guy a call. And he did. And he picked me up as a client. And uh, I started going and reading on things. The first stuff I started doing was voice matching Michael J. Fox. Now, okay, I want to get to that. I, let me ask you one question about that, though. How many of those tapes and how many different agents heard your stuff before Mark Quinn said, oh, um, do you think? Seven, maybe? Yeah. Yeah, yeah seven. Yeah. So you had to give yourself plenty of chances. Oh, and I mean, and it's not just me. Now, here's the other thing. I gave my tape to Abrams, Ruboloff, and Lawrence, I think, five times. Okay. <laughs> so... Uh, and, and it's so funny, Nancy Wolfson, who is just a dear, and she's so great, and she works, uh, you know, and she helps great people with... Vo voice coach. Voice and, coach and, and director. Has, does and, classes. And yeah. Then. 
Nancy was an agent there at the time, and she still kicks herself saying, I can't believe I didn't, I said no to you. She yeah. passed on she you. She passed on me several times. Oh, Nancy. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, well, see that's, that, and this is another thing. Uh, you start to see a theme when you talk to people. Yeah. All you need is one champion. Yeah. I mean, all you need is one person to go. Oh, yeah. like Mark Quinn said. Absolutely. And, and then it's up to you to prove that you can come through with what they believe they're hearing or seeing. Exactly. And getting in that booth the first time, I had no idea what I was doing. I was very comfortable being in a studio and in a booth with microphones and headphones, but. I didn't know what to expect or what to do or how to do it, so I just kind of watched and did it, and just like I did with radio. So I mean, I, I you know I'm a high school dropout. I, I left after tenth grade to be Why'd a stand-up. Uh, just stupid, all the stupid <laughs> teachers telling me to do stupid things. Tess, do shut re- up. Do you man. regret that? Uh, I. I do and I don't. I don't in that I love what I learned and I learned from you know an early age to do all this stuff and this career. But I do in that, you know, someday my daughter's going to go, so you didn't graduate? Right, right. <laughs> but also, uh, yeah, I would love to have a, a diploma because then I could do other things. I could I could run for president, Larry. <laughs> uh, oh, dear God, help us. <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of things that I can't do, and I do regret it. Yeah, I do. I, and I think about it. Actually, this morning I woke up thinking, I wonder if I should look into the whole GED thing again sometime. That should be a fairly easy thing to do. You know stuff now. <laughs> All right, so, so yeah. you, okay, so let's get back to, because the first real kind of major gig you get, you said, is is voice matching doing, Michael, uh, Michael J. J. Fox. Fox. Michael J. Fox. And that was something you were already yeah. doing all the time. I had been doing in my stand-up act from, my, from 16 years old on. How I big of a doing. movie was Back to the Future to you? For me, it was huge. It was, Is it yeah. one of the yes. movies? Yes. Uh, Star Wars, which, of course, now is weird because I'm involved in that Right, we'll get franchise. to that. But that, I, I, well, Rick, let's ask you a minute. What are, what are the three, like, Pivotal. Seminal movies, the, the movies that defined your life. Uh, uh, well, actually, yeah, I was going to say Star Wars. Uh, Star Wars, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Can we combine those? Okay. okay, all right, we'll call them. Uh, Back to the Future yeah. and Arthur. The original Arthur, yeah. not that... Not that. <laughs> oh, really? The Russell Brand yeah, the Russell version Brand, of yeah. Arthur is no. not one of the most <laughs> defining movies of your life. That's shocking to me that you would go old school Arthur. Yuck. Yeah, yeah. Um, Dudley Moore. Um, Dudley Moore. There was Arthur. what was that? I mean, that's a great movie. Yeah, and that's of its time a terrific movie. But w- there's something there that you there connect was, to. Why? First off, there was uh, you know as a kid that grew up. Poor. <laughs> Nothing much there. You went, oh, man, he's got all these toys. But also, it was such a sweet story, too. It made you laugh. It made you cry. But it was funny right off the bat. Joke, mm-hmm. joke, 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 joke. You just laughed. And I was 11 years old when that came out. I saw it on my 11th birthday at the Fairview Theater in Santa Barbara. And I would ride my bike to the theater the rest of the summer and go see it. Oh, wow. Uh, that was when movies actually stayed in theaters for longer than a couple yeah. of weeks. So you could actually go back and see that it. That and Raiders of the Lost Ark. Raiders of the Lost Ark played at the Magic Lantern Theater in Isla Vista. And I would walk down there every day. And uh, for two bucks, it was that. And then whatever else was playing, it was usually like Goro, Zorro the Gay Blade. And, uh, you know, or <laughs> George what? George Hamilton. George Hamilton. Thank exactly. you. Uh, and, and so I would watch it because my best friend growing up, would uh, he came from a divorced family as well? He would go visit his dad during the summer, so I didn't have any friends or anything really to do uh, anything with. So I would go to the theater and I would sit in there all day and just watch Raiders of the Lost Ark and then whatever else was with it, and then Raiders of the Lost Ark, and then I memorized it. And... Do you look back at that now? And because I was the same way. I mean, to yeah. me, 
the movie theater was my sanctuary. Yeah. I, 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 it was ritual to me. Yes. And I barely cared what I was going to see. Yeah. And then when I found something that I loved, I did see it many, many, many times. So weird, is you, like what you say there. Now I, I still go, I, why don't I like these movies? There's movies now I watch them and I go, I don't like this. This is awful. Yeah. And I turn it off and I go, as a kid, I'd never, nothing. There, I would watch everything. Sure. Like you said, anything, everything. And there wasn't a bad movie to watch. It was, even if it was bad, you just went, well, but it's a movie. Yeah. And now there's so much and I just go, bleh. It's, uh, yeah, we're, it's we ruined. have more content than, than we need. It's so sad. Well, part of it is because, the, you know, this, this just borders on grumpy old men talking about the way things used to be. Uh, you remember to, when go you go to get, get a popcorn, popcorn you, you know, <laughs> you'd wear a tie, you know, and be the usher would take you to your seat, and you can light up, too. And we liked it. <laughs> but it was... Uh, uh, it was an experience. It mm-hmm. was. It took effort. You yeah. went and you sat, and you, it was a communal experience. And it was exciting, yeah. or it was not. Even if there were five people in there, big screen, big room, lights go down. That and and, and it was contained. Yeah. You were only going to be doing that for no the next cell two phones. hours. Right. There was no zzz. no conversation. Oh, you couldn't pause it. Yeah. And that and that is something that I think we've lost of this kind of almost meditation of focus onto a thing. Oh yeah, that you could envelop yourself in. That's what I try to do with my daughter. She's nine years old, and I we have a we have a theater kind of place in our place now with the screen that comes down, and you watch it, and it's like we're going to watch a movie. That's it. There's yeah. no like pausing and you know all right. that. This is it. I am annoying in that way as well with my own son. <laughs> it's like he gets a text, and I go, "You want me to pause? You want, should I stop?" And he goes, "No, keep going." It's no. We're not going to pause Serpico yeah. at one of the most pivotal scenes in the movie when Pacino's ranting about the corruption in, in the New York City Police Department so you can text back, sup, yeah. to somebody. <laughs> See, now it's you got totally me all riled different. up. Yeah, it's, it, but it's, it's, it's awful. So, yeah. um, no, it was we were a, grumpy it was old men. Yeah, it was a magical time. So, Those movies were pivotal to me. And the coolest thing now is out of three of the four, I am... I've been involved and voiced things in as, as a voice actor now and been in these franchises because so, I never could have dreamed that I have this. Job. That's what I wanted to ask you about because if your first big gig, and this is your voice matching for a sequel to the movie. No, it was the original uh, Stuart Little. Um, oh, 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 that's Stuart right. Little. And then uh, it was Atlantis, The Lost Empire. And right. then we did a sequel, but it was actually because there was um, Disney's Atlantis, Lost Empire came out. We were making a TV show. Yeah, based they thought on it was going to be a huge hit. They thought it was going to be huge. It made ninety-six million dollars, and it cost eighty million. So it just didn't, you know what I mean? Just, they wanted yeah. it to do better, and so I was voice matching Michael J. Fox. I was the only one that wasn't part of the original cast in the movie, besides Jim Varney, um, who had, you know, been ill and such, right. and, and all. And um, so yeah, so I come in, and we got we're picked up for. 26 episodes, we do 18 of them, and then the movie comes out, it tanks in their eyes, and they go, well, we're going to take three of these and just make it into a sequel. Oh, so wow. so you can see it's Atlantis, Milo's Return, and I'm Milo in that. So in your mind, you're being told you're going to do the voice of basically one of your childhood heroes. Yes. Yeah. And how do you wrap your head around that? It's a trip, because Michael J. Fox, I just I just thought the world of him and uh, his acting. And, I mean, when in school, kids called me Alex P. Keaton. I wore suits. I brought a briefcase. I was a nerd. 
And maybe this is why I dropped out. But I was actually beloved. It's amazing you didn't get beat up more than you did. I didn't at all. It was my voices that saved me. And I say that in my in my stage show and all, too. I talk about that. But, um, yeah, so to, to be able – and we're the same height and we're the same kind of build and all that. And so I would just – I would take on his voice and I would do it. And, um, and I remember that first gig doing um, – the Stuart Little stuff, and they're like, "Is that your real voice?" And I said, "Well, yeah. I mean, it's basically it. Yeah, it's just a. It's like, gosh, that's creepy." So, um, <laughs> but then what happened was, here I I started a very successful voiceover career, and I I got big agents and stuff, ICM and all that. But they thought I was just Michael J. Fox voice, so they were sending me just out on that stuff. And I'm like, "No, guys, I've I've worked in radio for all this time, and I can do." I can do big announcer yeah. voices and all well, this This is stuff. an interesting thing about this world, and, and this happens a lot. I've encountered this myself, which yeah. is you do, uh, and God bless agents, uh, they yeah. do have one of the toughest jobs yep. in the world, sure. but they do tend to think very narrow because they're trying to, in, in their mind, protect you and, and put you in the position of playing to your strength. Yep. However, there, is, there are talents who have the ability to stretch themselves beyond just a thing. Yeah, and to be fair, it's a small group of people in Hollywood, in voice acting, in the voice acting community, that do have that ability. Mm -hmm. And even smaller, that are five foot four and 110 pounds, that can do Fred Flintstone. Right. So it, they look at me and they don't expect it. And, so, and I'm not sitting there patting myself on the back, oh, aren't I great? I'm just saying, this was just from being a kid with a, a wide range, right. from doing voices from... Four years old. So how did you break out of that? How were you able to prove? Was it the Fox stuff? That so yes, came so together? Uh, the Fox Network. Okay, so my agent Dean Panaro, who is now again my agent again. So Mark and Dean are my agents now, along with a lovely lady by the name of Melanie Thomas, but uh, at Abrams Artists, different agency. But uh, so <laughs> Dean was at ICM, and he uh, he knew I had range, and I. But here's okay. So here's what happened. I was at ARL, Abrams Rubeloff and Lawrence. I left there to go to ICM, Big Fish, da, 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 all that stuff, right? And I wasn't booking a lot because they were just sending me out on this stuff. And I was like, so I, I had a hard just time. Just the voice match it. stuff. Just, yeah, well, and just the kind of young, friendly kind yeah. of. Yeah, okay, just that type. And I was doing plenty of it, but I was like, I'm not making enough money. And I, I said, guys, here's what I was booking at ARL. Here's what I'm booking here. And financially, here's what it is. And they went, oh, we got to get to work. And so Dean... God bless him. He was like, yeah, James has a range. So he gets a call from Fox, and they're looking for somebody that can do a lot of different voices. And he says, I got the guy for you. And he sends me in there, and I meet with them. I sat down with them, and they're like, what if it was, you know, a 70-year-old guy that's sitting in a Vegas lounge all day that's telling you about the show? You mean so he sounds like this? Coming up, it's Fastlane on Fox. Okay, now it's that 70s show, and he's going to, we need like a stoner kind of, all right, chill, it's that 70s show. You know, what if it's like a Gary Owens kind of Don Pardo? Animation domination on Fox, you know, and so I gave them all of those things. They loved all of them, and they kept me. And in. right now, there's some nerd out there going, "Oh my God, that's all those voices!" That <laughs> I remember that. And the animation domination one, we're still doing. I yeah, mean, it's still it's been, around. Uh, like twelve years now, wow. I've been doing that. Wow. So Dean had it. You know, he took that chance and, and did that right. So I put a new demo together. I got this stuff out there, and my animation agent at the time, uh, Natanya Rose. I love her to death, and she was great, and God bless her, because she finally, she had listened to that demo, and I remember I'm driving home one day, and I get a call from her, and I think, oh, my agent's calling me, my animation agent's calling me, great, and I take the phone, and she says, James, I owe you an apology, and I say, what, what, what do you mean? She goes, I just listened to your demo, I had no idea, and she goes, I, I had no idea, I've been sending you out on all this other stuff, and that 
that's when everything changed. And I, so she knew what to send me out on now, but I was patient. I was like, I'm not going to go in there and not going to do, you know, I can do a bunch of voices because that's what everybody does. Right, right. And most people that say they can do a bunch of voices can't. Mm-hmm. And they can't sustain it or they can't do what, as good as they think they can. So I thought, I'm just going to be patient. And eventually it paid off. And she heard that and, you know, here I am. So if, if you were, somebody were just to look at your IMDb right now, they would see this incredibly long list. I mean, yeah. the thing about voice actors is that uh, it's rare that you get kind of linked to one thing for a long period of time. Right. You are jamming around and doing a bunch of different voices. Yep. But the variety definitely is there. Yeah. I mean, let's go through now. Let's kind of fast forward through. Yeah. The, <laughs> I mean, we, let's, let's hit the highlights of some of the biggest cartoons you did early on um well uh, Stuart little atlantis uh those right. were big but um then i uh, yeah scooby-doo i did a lot of episodes of scooby-doo powerpuff girls uh johnny bravo um and i did like huckleberry hound wiley coyote i was doing some of those voices in it um when did you click with your first kind of major lead role uh, well okay not that long after i started there was uh we were doing atlantis the lost empire tv show before we knew it was going to get canned and turn into a straight to video thing and this director jack fletcher was working on another project uh in another studio in the same facility and he was working on final fantasy the movie and it and he was also knowing that they were making a new game called final fantasy 10 it was going to be the first one that featured voices and he'd been hearing me, and we'd been getting to know each other, and he's like, this guy's got, just got the right voice for this lead character. Titus is the name of the character. Mm-hmm. So he now offered whole, me the part. A whole different group of nerds just went, yeah, tinkle, oh. tinkle, tinkle. <laughs> and it's pronounced Titus. Yeah. Everybody thinks it's Titus. It's pronounced Titus. There's a story uh, to that. All right, calm down. But, uh, all right, you know what? Titus. All okay. right. <laughs> Losing your grip, man. <laughs> so uh, he brings me in to do that, and we do this game, and I... I have no idea what I'm about to get into. I'd heard of Final Fantasy, and I knew this was a big deal, but to do this main character, and they, they put this script in front of me that's like a phone book, literally. Yeah, video games, are, let's talk about that a little bit, just to get a little inside here, because yeah. people don't realize that video games are not really like a movie at all, no. even though they do follow a story and they have a path, but because they have so many different directions they can go, yeah. you are... You are voicing every line, every, every word, option. every grunt, every... I mean, give us a sense of that. Yeah, and every option that the character has. Right. Because you may go, oh, I, I played Final Fantasy and it ended this way. It's like, oh, but you didn't play this whole way and where I voiced a thousand other lines that went you know, the opposite direction. So, so is it literally hours of you just line after line it after was line, physical... three after? and a half months of recording. Three and a half months of dialogue we recorded. And this like, was like eight our, hour days? Like uh, four hour days and then eight hour days on some of them. Like one a week was eight hour where we would do double. Yeah. And that's a lot for a, a voiceover thing. Usually you're in the studio for, I mean, I, I just came from a session and I was there for an hour and a half, maybe two hours right. at the most. And, uh, and we did a whole episode, you know, and that's pretty normal. But uh, for this game, it was long and it was a lot of work and the game had already been made in japan so we were redubbing oh wow so there's a lot of people that like either love my character or hate the way well that's see this is the next step to this which is this is really the first most high profile thing you had done yeah the this was 2001 yeah Yeah. maybe 2000 no yeah yeah 2000 so so the internet is in full effect and so the ability to uh share your views on stuff is definitely out there and uh titus was a little bit polarizing, and yeah. you probably, not only did you have your first high-profile role from the standpoint of yeah. a lot of people played this game, it was, yes. high, it was hugely it was, popular. Yeah, I mean, it was a biggest seller, you know, at, if, if, if only there were residuals in video games, oh, I'd, be, I'd be a happy man. Everybody you, assumes... You wouldn't be here, that's for that, sure. 
<laughs> that assumption that us voice actors, we make all this money from video games. We don't. We make no. a session a fee at a time. And we, yeah, look, we're paid fine. Right, I'm right. not complaining. But we don't make residuals like we do in movies or TV if shows. If that had stuff. been a, a movie, that had been, if you had acted in that, oh, then... Oh, yeah. I would have done very well. But that was, besides your first high-profile role, it was the first one where you saw people respond to what you were doing. Yeah. Who, to, who latched onto a character because you were in literally every moment of that game. Yeah, yeah. And not everybody loved it. And some... And, but some people like, I mean, still, there is generally not a day that goes by, and this has been, you know what, I, how many years now, 12, 13 years, I don't know, um, that I don't get fan mail from somewhere in the world to me today thanking me for that role. In reference to Final in, Fantasy in reference X. reference to Final Fantasy X. I was going to ask you, would you say that in, in all the things you've done, that's the thing that comes up the most, you no, think? No, oh, okay. Star so Wars. we got to get in the Star, yeah, Wars, Star Wars world. Wars. Star Wars is huge. <laughs> um, but, and then Ratchet and Clank. Uh, uh, shortly, shortly after Which one that, are you? I'm Ratchet. I know. <laughs> and Can Ratchet we hear a little Ratchet? Well, the cool thing about Ratchet and Clank and Ratchet is that it's my regular voice. Yeah. So you've been hearing Ratchet because uh, it is just this, hey, Clank, how's it going? You know, it's just this. <laughs> and there's a movie that's coming out in 2015. Now, you teased me with this a little while ago. You guys yeah. have already voiced this because uh, yeah. your partner, Mr. Clank. Yes, is David K. Right. Do you know David? I, uh, yes, and you also have uh, Jim Ward is Jim Ward involved. is, yeah, is, uh, yeah he's... <laughs> <laughs> he's uh, he's a great character. These are uh, Captain Quark. <laughs> yes. Who's this whole kind of, I'm stuck on myself, I'm wondering. For the people that play the games, they know him because I've voiced Ratchet in 14 different video games throughout uh, wow. the last, I don't know, 12 years or so. Now, why a movie now? That seems a because little late it's to the still, game. No, it's still so popular, and I think now the technology's there, the story is there. Um, I really hope they, they, they just, you know... Do it right and get it right. They, I mean, from what I've seen so far, it's been great. But you've voiced everything already. Yeah, we're going to go back in and do some pickups and stuff, right. I guess, here and there. But uh, T.J. Fixman was the writer of the last, I don't know, six or seven games. And he's just a very funny, very talented writer. And he wrote this great script. And it brings people in that if you don't know the game, it's okay. Yeah. You learn the origins of these characters. And it's just a funny movie. It's a funny story. So it's coming out in 2015. And I'm really excited about that. Um, so uh, we, yeah. I, I don't want to... We yeah, gotta get jumping in. all over. Yeah. I know, but that's okay. We got to get into Obi Wan because this actually does. You Obi -Wan you mentioned it. Movie. This launches you into, uh, well, but frankly, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. <laughs> hey, see it, what he did there? It puts you in a completely different universe of fandom. Yeah, and something again that goes back to one of the seminal moments of your childhood. Yeah. to be part of the Star Wars universe. Absolutely. Now, um, how do, how does that come along? So it, it was a regular audition. You know, my agents call me in to do an audition. And is it, was it basic? Was it essentially saying we need somebody to match yeah, you, so, you and McGregor? So I had been, uh, I had really already started being known as a voice match now. Now my agents knew if we need, I'd done Billy Bob Thornton, Christopher Walken, Michael J. Fox, David Spade. Uh, One of my favorites. You and McGregor. Uh, David Spade. Ah, no, 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 no. Nick Cage. Uh, oh, Nic Nicholas Cage. <laughs> I've done a lot of Nicholas Cage's stuff. <laughs> And <laughs> so, do you remember a line? That I you had to was do? trying to not lose my cool. <laughs> yeah, um, Nicholas Cage has that build where everything goes. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it starts. Um, yeah, so I had been doing a lot of uh, voice doubling, and so they said, "Hey, there's a voice match for you and McGregor," and I had done his stuff already for some things before, so I thought, oh, "Okay," and it's for Obi Wan Kenobi, and, and for 
the Star Wars movies because they were still being made. And I said, well, great. And I thought it was just going to be to do a line in a trailer or something like a one-off, and it, that'd be it, and I'd be done. And so I read for it, and a couple weeks later, I get the call, and they say, well, you're Obi-Wan Kenobi. I said, oh, great. So, and they go, no, for a cartoon. I said, what? So it, was this, it wasn't Clone Wars that you all know now. It was the micro-series of Clone Wars that was on Cartoon Network. They were these three-minute kind of interstitially kind of ones that told this great story. Um, and they were beautifully done and, and uh, really great and a lot of fun, but there wasn't a lot of dialogue in them. So I, I listened to him and I went, okay, so I'm doing Ewan McGregor, who's doing Alec Guinness, who's doing Obi-Wan Kenobi. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Because Ewan was basically basing his character on the established character of Alec yeah. with certain mannerisms and certain voice. And if you watch The Phantom Menace, which I know a lot of people go, I don't want to. Do I have that. to? Do yeah. I really have to? When he his first lines in that are, you know, um, it, it, I have a bad feeling about this. You're right about one thing, Master. And he has this kind of, he had a bit of the, you know, the oh. Alleganis kind of, uh, uh, in there, you know, yeah. kind of the Ringo, as we call it. <laughs> um, and, and so he is doing a bit of that, but I thought, but his voice naturally, because I had done some of his stuff where he's doing an American accent. So when Ewan McGregor is doing an American accent, it's pretty much right in here. He pushes everything up to the front of his mouth. And so I thought, well, his voice and my voice are the same. So if I give mine an accent, then I might sound a bit like him. And so this is all I did. I just gave myself an accent like that. And I thought about how Alec Guinness would put a bit of it in there. And, and then it just took. And oh, wow. so, um, so I do that for that. And then the video game of the movie Revenge of the Sith is coming out. And they bring me in. Lucas brings me in to do his doubling for that. And they show me parts of the movie and stuff. And it wasn't really until, see, Hugh McGregor brought this great dynamic to the character where he's got these two layers. He's got that soft part, you know, right in there. Do you hear that? That's the sound of a thousand terrible things heading this way. He's got this, you know, Anakin. <laughs> he's got this kind of thing, right? But then when he's mad or when he's shouting, he's got this Anakin come to your senses. You know, it's this very kind of gruff kind of thing. And, and I managed to pull that off really well. And they went, oh. That's it, because it was we were doing the end of the the movie, the very dramatic part where he you know cuts all the limbs off of right. Anakin Skywalker. Spoiler alert! Sorry, um, <laughs> nobody's gonna watch that. Yeah, uh, and uh, and then he has the speech. You are the chosen one. Then he gives the whole thing, and I was able to match that well. And they went, "This is our guy," and now here it is, almost thirteen years later, and I've been the voice of Obi Wan Kenobi for everything since. And what that has done is basically opened up a new aspect of your career Yeah, with the Star Wars world. It's amazing how loving and accepting the fans of Star Wars are. And they loved the Clone Wars, the new the Clone Wars, the CG animated one that came out a few years later. And um, we only did six seasons of it, but we worked on it for almost 10 years. And that's, that's the power of George Lucas. He created this show before he even sold it. And I mean, created a couple right. seasons right. and then sold it to Cartoon Network. And yeah. And it also opened up the uh, your excursion to Florida every year yeah. for, the, for the big. Uh... Yeah. So here's what happens when any anybody has ever done anything in Star Wars, you pretty much could go to a convention the rest of your life and sign, you know, and people, right. because fans want every little bit. Even it. the guy that did Jar Jar Binks. Yo, come on now. <laughs> Ahmed Best is is a dear friend of mine. He's a terrific guy. And he's a wonderful actor. And and, and yes, that's not fair, Larry. I'm calling you out on that one. What? Ahmed I'm is not great. blaming him. <laughs> it's not his fault. I know it's not. Um, and you know the funny thing is about Jar Jar? I will say this in uh -oh. defense of Jar Jar. Because, uh -oh. because my Obi-Wan is You're getting into controversial territory I know, I know. here. 
But think about it. He is C-3PO. He's the character that right. is that kind of bumbling oof that you kind of, eh, you know, but he, and he kind of drops into things. And, and 3PO, you know, it's the same basic character. And, uh, you know, so there you go. But um, he's, <laughs> So you're doing these events in Florida now. So now there are Star Wars weekends. Right. And there's Star Wars Celebration, which is the world's largest uh, convention for Star Wars. And I hosted that last time, and I am hosting it again this time in 2015. And it will be at the Anaheim Convention Center. And I will my stage will be a 7,000-seat theater yeah. where I will perform my one-man show. I'll also interview everybody from... You know, I mean, well, I don't know all the guests that will be there yet, but I mean, it could be anywhere from Mark Hamill to all the all the originals and then the new people. And, you know, so what happens is we when you are when you are allowed into this inner chamber of the the Star Wars, you you leave the fringe and you go into the inner. Because you have said this before. I mean, you you live a a fairly normal existence outside of, you know, the strange (laughs) job you have. You know, you have a lovely wife, you have a lovely child, you live in a lovely home, you drive a lovely car. It's (laughs) you you eat food. Well Okay. Yeah, sort of. Uh, when when we can can force you to, right. Yeah. Um but when you go to these things you really become a different human. Uh, Yeah. I mean I have pictures on my phone here I could show you of me in front of ten thousand people and it's like a rock concert and I'm like, Are you ready for Star Wars? You know, does it, it does it help to get a little of that, considering that how anonymous you really are as a voice actor? I mean, it's one it's, of the things that voice actors have to deal with, which uh, is you don't get the attention, you don't get. I mean, the and, accolades, and you may not you want know. the fame. You certainly probably don't want your private life delved into. No, but you know what? I'll tell you, it's wonderful. Yeah, Star Wars weekends happens every year at Disney uh, Disney World at their Hollywood Studios. I've been doing it for six years. I've been hosting it for four years. Here's another thing. Going back to like you talking about the persistence and how do you get into things? Well, with that, here I had Obi Wan Kenobi, and I had been working on a show, a one man show about my life as a voice actor because I find voice acting fascinating, and I think so many people are, are they lean forward when they see those behind the scenes things of people in the studio Absolutely. voicing stuff, and and so I wrote this show, a one man show about my life, and I call it talking to myself, and it's my life in my little padded room talking to myself. And I was like, what am I going to do with it? I wanted to do it for the USO, but they were like, it's too big of a production and we don't really know what to do with it. And I was just about to throw in the towel. And Disney called me up and they said, you know, you've been our guest here for a couple of years and you've done great things because I brought elements of my show. And they said, would you like to host this event? And I said, yes. And so the first year I was asked to go to Star Wars Weekends. Uh, was when Clone Wars was just coming out. They really didn't know much about it. They didn't think anybody was going to care about the cartoon version of Obi-Wan Kenobi or any of these characters. And so they they had no money. They offered me no money. They just said, we'll fly you out and put you up in a, in a room and you come and you do these shows each day talking about your your experiences as Obi-Wan Kenobi and stuff. And I brought all this stuff, all these toys and kind of, you know, the show to it and made people excited about that. And myself, as well as the other actors on our show, Ashley Eckstein, who's fantastic, and she hosted that event, uh, that show called Behind the Force. Dee Bradley Baker, who's the voice of all the clones, an amazing voice artist. If you want to look up voice artist D. Bradley Baker. He is the sound of every animal or creature in every movie now. It's, it's amazing. He's amazing. But um, so we all came in and, and brought all of this stuff that we do in our little padded rooms out into the open into an audience of all these thousands of people. And they were like, wow, there's something to it. But the first year I was like, I'll do it for nothing because I want to show them what I can do. 
and I know I can show them I can do a lot more than that. And I did. And then the next year, I showed them more. And then by the third year I was there, I was hosting the entire event. So here's a little pattern here that I, I think people need to point out of, yeah. of anybody who's trying to aspire to kind of work in anything entertainment-wise. Because you said this before about your agent, which was a, a, an element of patience. Yes. Of letting people know who you were and what you could do, but not trying to ramrod it through in a way. Now, now, yeah. why is that your philosophy? Because there are people who will say, you have to be aggressive. Yeah. You have to put yourself out there. You have to be persistent. You have to be in their face. Yeah, and but nobody you... likes you. <laughs> is that it? <laughs> no. I mean, I, there, there is an element of, yeah. of Hollywood's changed a little bit now that nobody has the time or the patience to put up with BS. Yeah. I, they don't want to work with people they don't like. The diva thing doesn't happen anymore, especially in voice. It's rare. I mean, yeah, you're not going to be, uh, I mean, it's very rare in voiceover. Voice actors are the most humble, giving. You know, I mean, it's like if I'm at a gig and they're like, can you do this? I'll be like, no, but you know who can? You know, get this guy. Yeah, your community is really tight. I yes. mean, from a standpoint of, of very supportive of each other, yeah. it seems. It, it, and it is. It is. And uh, it's a close-knit group, and people always want to know, how do you get into it? And it's like, well, you be good and you be friendly. I, my job is to be the Ron Howard or Tom Hanks of voiceover. I want to be the nicest guy in the room. I want to be happy to be there and attentive to the director and give them what they want. And I don't mind line readings, and meaning, you know, the director telling me how they want it read because I'm fine with that if it makes sense and you know all that I'll do that but um you just want to be uh happy to be there because honestly voiceover is one of the best jobs in the world I mean yes to a degree I think people think it's also one of the easiest jobs in the world it's not it's actually a very difficult job it's very strainful and straining and stressful and I don't think people realize how physical it is. It's uh, very physical. It's actually, in many ways, more physical than on-camera acting yeah. because you have to convey so much more through voice. When you're doing a session and you've got on-camera actors there and it happens all the time, uh, they'll turn to me and they'll go, this is harder than it looks. <laughs> because they'll they'll be like, okay, now you're being riddled with machine gun fire. You know, and now you're falling off a cliff. No! Now you're doing this. Whoa! You know, you get, I mean, I just came from a session where I was doing that. And, and, uh, okay, it's shorter fall. Yeah! Now you're just slipping. Whoa, whoa! You know, now you're falling into your death. Whoa! You go on. All right, let me give you a few. All right? <laughs> yeah. uh, punch to the stomach. <gasps> Slap in the face. <sighs> punch in the nose. Oh, oh. Eye poke. Ow, ah. <sighs> Mother pulling your ear into your room. <laughs> Let's keep this going. I'm gonna. I'm just gonna throw. I'm just gonna throw stuff out at you, and let's see what happens here. Uh, Fred uh, Flintstone. Yep, a dab a do. Well, uh, my Bonnie. <laughs> I got a great story about Fred Flintstone too. When you want, but go ahead. Uh, no, you threw me off track. What's the story? Oh well, okay. So I have been the voice of Fred for the last uh, I don't know 10, 11 years. I just recently stopped doing it because they recast me. It happens. Um, but when I got the gig. I was the least likely guy to get the gig because, again, as I've said, I'm, uh, and you can look me up online. I'm, You're a wee. I'm a, I'm a wee lad. I'm five foot four. I brought him into the room in me pocket. <laughs> Hello, Larry. Hello. I'm going to um, put you back in there now. <laughs> Time to go nighty night. <laughs> oh, okay. No, tell the story. Finish the story. Okay, let me tell the story. Why did we both turn Irish? <laughs> I have no idea. So <laughs> they do this massive audition for Fred Flintstone. They want the voice for the new Fred Flintstone. Uh, okay, originally Alan Reed was the voice of Fred Flintstone, and he did all the episodes of the shows and stuff. He passed away in the 70s, and Henry Corden uh, was a fantastic actor. He was an on-screen actor. In fact, he was the owner of the ice cream shop on the Brady Bunch. 
Uh, <laughs> <Wow>. Mr. Hooper, <laughs> was it Mr. Hooper's ice cream yes, shop or something I think like so, that? Yeah. yeah. Um, and he was in the Ten Commandments. Anyway. So Henry was Alan's singing double as Fred Flintstone. Anytime you heard Fred Flintstone sing on those original Flintstones, it wasn't Alan because he couldn't carry a tune. He couldn't sing. It was Henry Corden. So he would come in and sing for him. So he was the natural choice to replace Alan when Alan passed away. So he became Fred Flintstone back in the 70s, and he did it for, you know, 30-plus years. And he was getting older and uh, was was a little ill and wasn't able to produce the, the, you know, the— air in his lungs to get that out there and the yeah but ever do you know as much and so he knew okay i need to start kind of phasing out of this but he wanted to be very much involved in the choosing of the next person so they did a massive thing two thousand three thousand people kept going down whittling down whittling down whittling down and i made i made a special tape too i made a, a an audition where i was doing fred flintstone auditioning for fred flintstone and i sent it to them as well and i just had a lot of fun with it and they wanted me to match Henry Corden's Fred Flintstone, which was a little more nasal and gravelly. To the moon, Alice. He was doing Jackie Gleason, basically. Yeah. You know, Alan Reed was more, Wilma, uh, Wilma, you seen the Sunday paper? You know, and, Oh, wow. And uh, <laughs> Those two are so similar, but now I hear the difference. Yeah. It was you doing Wilma, it. have you seen the Sunday paper? It was more Henry Corden yeah. was that. So, uh, and it was for the cereal commercial. So I, I, um, it, they narrowed it down to three guys. And I, I don't know who the third one was, but I know the other was Fred Tattashore, who is an amazing voice talent and a good friend, of a dear, very dear friend of mine. He's the voice of the Hulk and all sorts of great characters. Um, he was the uh, big frost giant in Frozen. The, ooh, oh, really? Thing. Yeah, that thing. Uh, and um, <laughs> and he, he's great. But so it was between he and myself and then somebody else. And I walk in the room and they literally looked over me, like went, like like got up and looked like well where is he because they thought well it can't be david spade who just walked in (laughs) and i i go well i'm here you know and i'm james taylor you guys have heard my stuff and and the director was this lovely woman who now you know we're friends but been friends for many years but at the time she just could not get past it and henry's in the booth with me and he's giving me direction, and they're playing back his stuff. So they're playing, you know, post fruity pebble cereal, part of a good breakfast. And then I'd have to repeat it: post fruity pebble cereal, part of a good breakfast. And uh, and so the she goes, he's not deep enough. And the engineer goes, he's actually deeper than Henry. <laughs> well, he's not uh, Gleason enough. Uh, he's actually he's doing pretty good. And Henry goes, would you stop looking at him and just listen to him? <laughs> and. And she goes, oh, you're right, you're right, you're right. And she closes her eyes, and we'd go. They'd play the tape, and I'd go. Then I'd go, they'd play the tape. And she couldn't tell the difference. It got to that point, she went, okay. Wow. So Talk about your classic you know, showbiz, don't judge a book by its cover story. Oh, I've had it happen so often. I remember one time I went into a, a session, and I the agent told me about it, and I said, I really would like to do this ISDN, meaning uh, through the phone patch lines for my home studio, because they wanted my... Animation domination voice, that big guy voice. And I go in there and I'm doing it, and the guy goes, It sounds like you're trying to sound like that guy. And I go, The guy on Fox? It doesn't. Animation dominate. And he goes, Yeah. And I go, That's me. <laughs> so, yeah, you do get judged sometimes by the way you look when you have a range that is wider than, you know, I don't know, but it doesn't happen to everybody. You know, most big guys, it's, it's funny. We do the show Hulk and the Agents of Smash, and it's Clancy Brown, who is just 
brilliant on-camera actor. Oh, yeah. He was at Highlander and all those things. And and uh, and he's also on SpongeBob. He's Mr. Crab. You know, SpongeBob. You know, he's all. That. And Clancy and I have worked on so many things together. And he's so great. And he's playing Red Hulk, Big Hulk. Fred Tattashore is Big the Hulk. And then you've got these guys, you know, uh, doing all these huge voices. And then there I am. And I'm doing uh, the leader, who is the leader, and the Hulk, and the agents. I will get you Hulk, and your agents of Smash, and he's this the nemesis to Hulk. And so it's always funny because it's like they set up the mics, and then there's whoop, and there's a tiny little mic. Oh, there's James's <laughs> mic. So you can be that. So this is, uh, and it, uh, this actually takes us full circle here. This yes. might be a good way to wrap up because oh, there's so much that, to talk about. Because that's going back to there's the little guy in the schoolyard who could have been the outsider who loved all the you know nerdy yeah. stuff who could have been beat up except he's doing funny voices and making people laugh and he's part of the gang i mean yeah. it's the ultimate uh, full circle it's you know it's part amazing of your life. because all the people that were my heroes growing up jim cummings frank welker uh, billy west Jess Harnell, uh, Maurice LaMarche, Rob Paulson, all these guys, they're all my friends now. And, and I'm just in awe of them because they're so wonderful. And people should look them up because you would not believe how many thousands of voices they all are. I'd like to talk to some of them here. I think, oh, yeah, I we think can get them in. Get I'm their sure. insight yeah. into yeah. some of that stuff. So let's wrap up here, James, and, and with a last couple of questions. We okay. talked a little bit about the, the movies that impacted you. Yeah. Um, uh, what, are oh, there? Oh, can I say something about Back to the Future, though? Yeah. Uh, I got to play Doc Brown in the video game of Back to the Future. So now I'm, I've been in that. So they, they did a game a couple years ago, and I, everybody thought I'd be Marty McFly. Sure. And I auditioned for Marty. And there's You this, didn't get Marty? I didn't. This kid, A.J. Lacasio, who is amazing. He sounds exactly... He sounds more like Michael J. Fox than Michael J. Fox does. <laughs> Honestly, he's scary. And, um, and I got to play young Doc Brown. So, which is, uh, you know, so, so you take uh, Emmett, Dr. Emmett Brown and you make him a teenager. So you have to make him more like this. And so I got to play him at like 18 years old. Marty, wait a second. And, and it was a great game, very successful, did great. I did get to voice Marty in one part and they replaced me with Michael J. Fox. It was a older version of Marty. Right. And they said, oh, we'll have James do it. It'll be fun. A nice little nod. And then they ended up getting Michael J. Fox. And so he plays him. But uh, but yeah, anyway. So yeah, I got to be involved in that. And I've done stuff for Raiders of the Lost Ark things too. I did an old film school reel. So, I, so I've got to be involved in all of my favorite movies except for Arthur because, you know, whatever. What are you going to do? But can we hear a little Dudley? <laughs> oh, that's funny. With the ball tracks of you, please step forward. Has there been a death in your family? Or is this funny stuff here? Bisman, go through the park. You know how I love the park. Yes. James Arnold Taylor. Hey. Ridiculous. You, if, if I didn't know that you were a relatively stable human being, <laughs> I would say that you have more than multiple personalities, that you're oh, just outright nuts. Very kind. Um, let's, let's wrap this up with some of the things that you care about the most. Let's talk about, first of all, What's kept you motivated? What has given you that persistence to keep driving through something that's hard to do? Okay. Well, I hope it's okay. I give you, uh, you know, my, my, my real answer is my faith. Well, my, I, w- I was yeah. going to bring this up because I know that your faith is very important. To yeah. You. Yeah, it is. Uh, I'm a Christian and, uh, the, you know, God has, has got me through it all. It really has. Um, has it always been that way for you? No. Um, you know, I grew up, again, I grew up in kind of a, I, I've mentioned a rough childhood, but I saw a lot of bad things, things that I should not have seen, a lot of abuse and a lot of drug use and a lot of stuff. And um, and uh, my wife was the one that really showed me uh, 
all of that. And uh, we met in high school, and we've been high school sweethearts. We've been married for uh, 23 years and together 26. How much of you needing to be these other people and mimic these voices <laughs> came out of basically trying to hide from that stuff? Here's the thing. Here's where I get a, uh, a second episode on your show because I'll, I'll drop this in. And you know the story, but all of that being other people, constantly being other people, anyone but myself has been my whole life. And I always felt like I was searching for who am I because I never felt like I really existed or belonged or anything. I had trouble with that. And I came to find out three years ago that the truth is, is the person I thought my father was my whole life was not my father. And my real father uh, has long since passed away. I never met him. Well, I met him once when I was seven, but I had no idea at the time. You didn't know, wow. Um, uh, and he didn't know that I was his. Uh, my real father worked in radio and did voices and hosted things. And, and you never knew that? Never knew that. So uh, all of this searching and all of that, it was all there. I mean, it, it's crazy. It's weird. It's those kind of, you get the chills when you think about it's, it. Because, yeah, he did exactly what I do. So sometimes it's true that there are things in the DNA that just get passed on. Yeah. Have to be, right? Yeah, because I, nobody else in my family, and that was the thing. My brother and sister are nothing like me, and uh, sports and, you know, athletic and beautiful and <laughs> lovely and strong. <laughs> and, and not I'm like, you. Hi. <laughs> and I just thought, yeah, okay, I was like the last of the... Uh, Quick questions. Yeah. Um, professionally, the thing you're proudest of? Oh, um, hmm. Gosh, uh, I really love my stage show. Uh, and that sounds, because I don't want to say that, it sounds like I'm patting myself on the back. I'm really proud of that show. And, uh, and I, I do it at Disney every year. I'm going to do it for other things. And I hope to do it out uh, here in Los Angeles sometime soon too. It's called Talking to Myself. Thing you're most proud of personally? Um, uh, my, my wife and my daughter, my, my uh, family. And what's next? What is the thing that you feel like is the next phase that you um, want to accomplish? I would like to take my show and do more with it. I'd like it to be seen on a wider uh, audience. You know, I mean, it's been seen by tens of thousands of people all over the world. I've taken it to Ireland and Japan and stuff, but uh, I would like it to be more mainstream. And I'd like to be able to, yeah, I'd like to make voiceover a little more mainstream, a little more known. Not so we can all just be famous and stuff, but so people can see it and really appreciate it. And what's the thing that you would like to tell people, not just who want to pursue voiceover, but who want to pursue something creative, who want to accomplish something that seems hard to do, but they feel passionate about? Ooh. What is your best? Okay, this is another shameless plug, if you don't mind, because I wrote a book. I wrote a book last year. It's called uh, JAT365, James Arnold Taylor, 365 days a, a, year, a week, a day, or a year, or whatever. Uh, <laughs> uh, I don't even know. The name. It's 365 it's, a year. It's JAT365. You can get it on Amazon.com, uh, and it's... 365 daily inspirations for the pursuit of your dreams. Because the one thing that this life as a voice actor has given me as being this ambassador for Star Wars and all these great things, it's, it's been an ambassador of inspiration because I get to inspire other people. Because, um, you know, many years ago, about 10 years ago, I lost my voice to black mold and I didn't know if I was going to be able to do what I love, which is all I've ever wanted to do. And I had to kind of look at my life. And at that point, I decided I want to stay positive. I want to find the good in everything. And so I wrote this book and it's just little daily inspirations for people it's you pick it up you could read it you could flip to any page it's they're numbered but it's not a calendar book and you journal and i i get people to pursue their goals and dreams by just believing and knowing that they can do it understanding here's the biggest thing though understand what makes you weak 
your kryptonite and understand what makes you strong. Because if you understand and know how to handle the things that make you weak, you can just, you can handle them. That's the most important thing is not falling apart when those things happen. And that's what voiceover teaches you because you go into a room and they're like, okay, we need to do five different voices now. Go. And ah, you got to just be able to do it. So in life, that's what happens sometimes. Your kid's injured over here or they fell off their bike and now they're this and your wife's over here and there's this and that and that's happening and your job's calling over here and you're like, ah, okay, I can handle this. You know, so that's, that's the thing is hopefully get people to see that life's a, that's what life's all about, but it's beautiful. That's good stuff. Ah, come on. Give me a hug. Um, we're going to wrap up here with the mention of something that we did not get to, and it's going to have to go by very quickly here. But uh, one of the things that James Arnold Taylor and I have collaborated on is, <laughs> is a freaking movie. Yeah. We, made, we made a freaking movie yes. in 2001. Yes. It's called The Comedy Team of Pete and James. Yep. It's not available out in the real world yet, no. but you can find a trailer on YouTube. Yeah, there's a couple of them, yeah. Pieces of it. Uh, it's something, it's one of the most satisfying things I've ever done creatively in my life, and James is amazing in it. Oh. Oh, and it's nice. a little, it's, it's essentially somewhat autobiographical about the, a period of your life. Yes. Um, but it's also filled with very funny people and a lot of friends of ours. Yeah. And some uh, great cameos. And um, there's an aspect of that movie that, uh, as this is the very first, I don't know if this will be the first podcast release, but it's the first one ever recorded. Oh. And um, wow. I have decided that I want the motto, the philosophical motto, of this podcast and the last line of every podcast to be a line from the film, which comes from the character of Franklin, which I would like you as the inaugural podcast to end this one with that line as that character. Oh, uh, get a monkey. Get a monkey, everybody. Get a monkey. <laughs> oh. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh yeah we've got to get that movie out somewhere get a monkey get a monkey this episode is brought to you by progressive insurance whether you love true crime or comedy celebrity interviews or news you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue and guess what now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the name your price tool from progressive it works just the way it sounds you tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.